BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. It's been another wild week in Washington with many twists and turns. While we're still reeling from last week's assault on the Capitol, the House of Representatives voted to impeach Donald Trump, making him the only president to be impeached twice and setting him up for a Senate trial where he could become the only president ever to be convicted. Meanwhile, every day, more and more security measures were put in place around the Capitol, with now as many as 20,000 National Guard troops standing guard day and night, streets around the Capitol closed, and the entire National Mall shut down. All in preparation for an inaugural ceremony on January 20, like no other we've ever seen before, with no crowd, but only the major players in attendance. As the Biden administration prepares to take over, everybody's asking, how did we get into this mess and how do we get out of it? Today, we put that challenge to three of Washington's top reporters. Sudeep Reddy, managing editor for Politico. Hello, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Jason Dick, deputy editor for CQ Roll Call. All right, Jason. Good morning. And Lauren Burke, a host of the new Burke File podcast. Hello, Lauren. Welcome back. How you doing? Thank you. All right. So much going on. It's hard to know where to start, but let's start with history made this week. Sudeep, um, he's been impeached before. This uh, effort only took a couple of hours in the House. Uh, but still uh, impeaching Donald Trump. It's, it's, this was a big deal this week. It's a big deal, <clears throat> particularly because it was a, a bipartisan impeachment. And the, the the cause of it, the driver of it, is something that everybody can understand. It's not about uh, some phone call to, to someone in Ukraine. It's not about uh, a, a campaign issues. It was a riot. Uh, it was all caught uh, from from uh, dozens of angles on video for people to see, and it was something that uh, disturbed the vast majority of Americans. Even if they don't necessarily support impeachment, uh, they 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 are all disturbed. Uh, not all, but most disturbed by the fact that this happened and that the president was uh, was involved in inciting. Uh, this riot in some fashion. And so um, for for the sake of history, it, it is notable whether it actually leads to anything positive. Uh, that is a good question. So far, it only seems to be leading uh, to something negative in terms of further uh, division and, and turmoil. Uh, that is that is the risk that everybody knew was coming, but the, there are consequences to actions. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. So, Lauren, uh, Sudeep mentioned, uh, as he mentioned, it was a bipartisan vote, meaning uh, Ten Republicans joined the Democrats uh, to impeach Donald Trump. Um, I'm not sure how to read that, right? Are we supposed to say, wow, ten Republicans joined the Democrats? Or, wow, only ten Republicans joined the Democrats? <laughs> Which is it? Well, yeah, you certainly can read it both ways. But uh, 
given the uh, given the politics that we have being so you know one side and the other, ten ten is actually a lot for our politics. That's the truth. And obviously, it is shocking though that 197 members of the U.S. House uh, after the Capitol was attacked, um, after the president incited a violent attack on the Capitol, uh, could not figure out a way to. Uh, vote for impeachment. Of course, the reasons for that are many, some of which are the threat of political violence. So uh, in this moment, after watching what we saw on January 6th, frankly, I can kind of understand why you had 197 people who could not figure out a way to vote against this president, because they have to deal with their constituents. They have to deal with the unknown. They have to deal with threats on their family. They have to deal with all sorts of violence, um, open conversation about, uh, you know, uh, colleagues of theirs being a part of this in some way, helping the planning mm-hmm. of a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. So that's what in part explains the 197. The other thing that explains the 197 is agreement with Donald Trump and not figuring out a way to get out of that agreement and not figuring out a way to tell the truth to their constituents about the fact that Joe Biden won this election and uh, there was no uh, fraud of any type. So that's the problem. And that's why we have that 197 sitting there. And Jason, the uh, of the ten, the most uh, notable of the ten, of course, was the third most powerful House Republican, uh, Liz Cheney, um, who, well, her voice was heard during the debate, not directly, but through uh, Democratic Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. Here he is. Representative Cheney from Wyoming, a conservative Republican, said this. The president of the United States summoned the mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. She knows of what she speaks. And she said this as well. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. So what does this mean? Is this a civil war in the Republican Party or just some outliers here, Jason? I feel like it is, I mean, unfortunately, just from what we're seeing, it's kind of, they're outliers right now. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not really significant outliers. I mean, Cheney is, you know, comes from, you know, one of the more storied and powerful families in American politics. The Cheneys, her father was former you know, Vice President Dick Cheney. So um, she has she wields influence that's outsized from you know just being even a, a typical leader. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, before before the events of the last you know year or so, she was frequently uh, spoken of as as a possible future Speaker of the House. So, I mean, it, it's it's a big deal. But the the you know the the issue is that there just aren't that many people who are willing to to stand out and say no. This is very obviously wrong. Um, you know, this, she is sort of calling that out from it. Um, and that, as, as Lauren said, you know, that this is not something that a lot of people were willing to do for a variety of reasons, whether they agreed with the president or whether they fear uh, what would happen if they voted for his impeachment. So the div- there is a divide in the Republican Party. It's just not that big. There are just so many people on the other side of the issue than from where Cheney is. Uh, a couple of you have mentioned now the fear of what might happen uh, if they were to vote against Donald Trump. Uh, the uh, uh, young congressman from New Jersey, uh, I don't think this is his first term, but he hasn't been there long, Peter Meyer, I'm sorry, from Michigan, Republican from Michigan, 
um, talked about um, what he's experiencing having voted to impeach. And that's the definition of terrorism, is trying to achieve a political end using violence. Uh, when it comes to my family's safety, that's something that we've been planning for, preparing for, um, uh, taking appropriate measures. I have colleagues who are now traveling with uh, armed escorts out of the fear for their safety. Many of us are, are altering our routines, um, uh, working to get body armor, uh, which is a, a reimbursable purchase that we can make. Um, it's sad that we have to get to that point, but you know, our expectation is that someone may try to kill us. Yeah. Sudeep, this is, I mean, this is a reality for Republican members uh, and causes them to think twice before breaking with Trump. It, it is. And you look back, though, a, a decade ago to the Gabby Gifford shooting and, and crazy people can do crazy things um, and uh, the Capitol being a target a decade earlier dur during 9-11. Those were all moments that, that I think struck uh, fear in the, the hearts of, of lawmakers. Um, but this, this one does feel different. Like you, you uh, if you walk around Capitol Hill, you see members of, of Congress, you see House members and senators walking around. Um, I don't think we're going to see that before. I, I, I see that much, uh, much more uh, for a while. They're, they're going to be much more careful. They're worried about what's going to happen to them. Uh, but they are also worried what's going to happen to them uh, back home because there are, there are people who are, are like literally out to kill them, uh, to hunt them down. And we, we saw evidence of that over and over. And uh, unfortunately, we all know that there's, there's something else, some other, uh, some other leg of this coming, and we just don't know what specifically it is, if it's tied to the coming protests uh, this weekend that are, are not just protests, but, but pledges of violent demonstration or something that could surprise us later, which I think is what we fear the most. Uh, by the way, those of us, uh, Jason and I, who live on the Hill, could tell you, and uh, Sadiq, you as well, uh, you're not going to see members of Congress and senators walking around because you can't get anywhere close to the Capitol <laughs> these days. I mean, yeah, that's right. The, the fencing is the perimeter just keeps expanding. And, right. uh, you know, there, there are these eight foot tall fencing that's you know, very difficult to scale. And it's just there are guardsmen and police just literally everywhere. Right. Two blocks from the Capitol. We can't get within two blocks of the Capitol. I, I tried yesterday, <laughs> turned, 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 turned away. Uh, so deep, I keep, I mean, I'm sorry, I meant to ask Lauren, you um, keep coming back to where the Republican Party goes from now, because you hear a Peter Meyer, you hear a Liz Cheney, and then you hear a Kevin McCarthy, who says Trump was responsible, and yet Kevin McCarthy still voted not to impeach. He was one of the ones who voted uh, to question the Electoral College vote, even after this attack on the Capitol had taken place. And Kevin McCarthy, who back on November the 5th was one of the very first on Fox News uh, to jump in and agree with Donald Trump that the election was stolen. President Trump won this election, so everyone who's listening, do not be quiet. Do not be, do not be silent about this. We cannot allow this to happen before our very eyes. So even now, Lauren, right, he's totally behind Trump. So, yeah. you know, what's this mean? Where's the Republican Party go from here? Do they kind of want to try to move away from Trump as Mitch McConnell has? Or do they are they still loyal like Kevin McCarthy? Um, I actually think that they remain loyal like Kevin McCarthy. I mean, this kind of started this whole thing of 
uh, the Republican Party embracing lying as an ideology really back uh, right after Barack Obama was elected with the Tea Party and the health care bill and the death panels and the lying, just straight up lying. And that lying is propelled by social media, which refuses to regulate any of that lying. So they're just lying to each other. And I think, frankly, that lying is rooted in not wanting to accept the fact that this country is changing demographically. Uh, the constituency that you see keep seeing popping up as the most angriest is typically white males. At this uh, attack on the Capitol, it was majority, seemed to me, white males. Uh, Donald Trump became their hero after saying that this is our last chance and being their champion. Uh, it is rooted in the Southern strategy. It is rooted in uh, lying to deny the fact that uh, white people in this country are going to be in the minority in about uh, 20 or 30 years. Uh, and when you see things like Stephen Miller and Bannon and these people who are obsessed with talking about building walls to keep people of color out and everything that surrounds that, you see that this Republican Party has now embraced fascism uh, and a fascistic leader in Donald Trump and political violence to get its way. They have no interest in modifying their policies to uh, attract other constituencies that are growing in this country. That is one of the biggest problems, I think, with the Republican Party right now. And the idea that uh, that's going to change anytime soon, I think, would be fantasy land. We, we just saw something unprecedented uh, that we haven't seen since the 1800s, and uh, you still see people trying to defend it. And uh, there is there is really no other way to... Uh, to come down on, other than the fact that, I mean, we of course have the Liz Cheney's, but she is a minority in the minority. So it is, she is not represented the majority of the Republican Party right now. And that's, that's why I think the party is. Uh, and to show how far this goes, our friend uh, Reed Epstein, a uh, frequent guest here on the podcast as well from the New York Times. Uh, Jason, on the front page of the New York Times this morning, uh, Reed quotes the chairman of a Republican Party, county Cleveland County, Oklahoma. And this is the chair of the Republican Party of this county in Oklahoma who defended the violence at the Capitol this week, saying, quote, what the crap do you think the American Revolution was? A game of freaking patty cake? I mean, at some point, doesn't the Republican Party have to say, hey, this has really gone too far? And I, I feel like, you know, this is what the, the, the sort of control that Mitch McConnell and the Senate and Liz Cheney are trying to reassert. They're, they're trying to say, like, hey, before we completely lose anybody who has a grasp of reality, we, you know, we have to, like, position ourselves. We, it may be too late for a while, um, and perhaps they're hoping that, you know, at, at a certain point the fever sort of passes but I'm I'm with Lauren. I mean, there, there's too there's too much invested in the current you know sort of I, I hate to call it a strategy uh, because it, it doesn't seem um, particularly strategic. It seems more visceral. Uh, but you know the the this that sort of rhetoric. Um, I mean, you kept on hearing that with from people uh, in in the mob that attacked the Capitol that it was a revolution, and I don't know how you put that back in a bottle or disperse it. I mean, it's it's a very um, concrete thing to a lot of people. And it's, it's it is really disturbing, uh, because it's it's not you, you, you can't really 
talk to people. You have you have to try, of course. But but it's if somebody truly believes that what they're doing is is being on some sort of like mission from God and or or, or a revolution, then they're not really like in the mood to talk to somebody like you know me or or Nancy Pelosi yeah. or, or you know Steny Hoyer or somebody like that, right? Or Liz Cheney. Uh, you know, and it is frightening that so many, uh, as we've seen, did see this as a mission from God. There were there were many evangelical banners and signs uh, among the um, the mob members of the mob there uh, on Jan- January sixth. And Sadiq, it seems the more we learn uh, from the videos about this assault on the Capitol, the worse it really was. I mean, they were assaulting police officers. They some of them uh, intended to take hostages from members of, of the uh, of, of the House, hold them hostage, maybe even kill them. There were threats to kill Nancy Pelosi. Here is what one police officer described that happened, a police officer happened to him. Guys were stripping me of my gear, these riders, uh, pulling my badge off my chest. Um, they ripped my radio off of uh, off my vest started pulling uh, like ammunition magazines from their holder uh, on my belt. And then some guys started getting a hold of my gun and uh, they were screaming out, um, you know, kill him with his own gun. I mean, Sadiq, what happens to these people? Well, many of them are going to jail. They've, uh, uh, dozens have already been uh, been arrested and we're, we're finding out uh, hour after hour, some of how disturbing all of this was. It, in the moment, it looked like uh, a, a group of protesters that got out of control and uh, and surged on the Capitol. Uh, I think within hours, we realized that that's not what it was. Um, and w- within uh, days and now, uh, now 10 days, you can actually see this was a coordinated assault by militarized groups on the Capitol. They had uh, radios. Yep. They were coordinated. They had weaponry. They had zip ties. Um, they weren't all in that group. There were there were others mixed in. But um, to have uh, what is essentially a militia storming the the United States Capitol, uh, it is it is just remarkable. People are going to to study that that six hour period, uh, and uh, I think entire careers will be made on trying to understand what happened. Uh, in that period from when the, the House uh, and Senate members left the floor to when they returned, because it's just remarkable to, to, to see, like, it, you can't go into the Capitol with a bottle of water if you're a regular no, visitor right. right now. But all these people walking in with, with full uh, weaponry and armor, it's just, it's just shocking on so many levels. And uh, there, there are more out there. That's the thing. A, a lot of them didn't even show up. So there are militia groups that are that are preparing whatever they're preparing because they see the coming days as as their marker for right. for taking back the country. Well, you mentioned uh, not being able to get in the cap. I mean, since uh, the pandemic, uh, capital tours basically have been stopped, right? Uh, and then suddenly, on the day before this assault on the Capitol, January five, uh, members of Congress noticed all kinds of people walking through the Capitol. Uh, and it turns out that some of those people may have been uh, given tours of the Capitol, basically a reconnaissance tour for the assault the next day, given by members of Congress. Mikey Sherrill, a uh, Democratic congresswoman from New Jersey, is the one who first brought this 
to attention. Uh, here's her comment. I also intend to see that those members of Congress who abetted him, those members of Congress who had groups coming through the Capitol that I saw on January 5th, a reconnaissance for the next day, those members of Congress that incited this violent crowd, those members of Congress that attempted to help our president undermine our democracy, I'm going to see that they're held accountable and, if necessary, ensure that they don't serve in Congress. Lauren, if they're giving advance tours to the people who intend to assault the Capitol the next day, they're as guilty as the rioters are. Right. Uh, so I've been dating a U.S. Capitol Police officer for some years now. He's one of my best friends. I met him during Clinton impeachment in 98 when I was uh, working for ABC News. Uh, the Capitol, uh, as uh, I think Jason just mentioned, uh, was understaffed because of COVID. And so around the House and Senate chambers, where you would typically have 30 officers, they only had 10 to 15, because the building was typically closed because of COVID. Yeah. It's been closed since March, as, as, as everyone knows. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, by the way, the zip ties, uh, the zip ties are actually, that you're seeing in these photos, are actually U.S. Capitol Police zip ties. They, they're stored in a case on the third floor, um, you know, mm. when there's unrest in the gallery. So what happened was when the mob came in, they broke into everything. They broke into every case and every everything that you saw, uh, and they got into the zip, zip tie case. Uh, but at any rate, uh, this uh, thing that Mickey Sherrill's talking about with regard to tours, obviously the only people who could bring um, uh, people into the Capitol during the, the sort of COVID shutdown when really there was nobody in the Capitol are members of Congress, of course. And members of Congress, too, can wave people typically around metal detectors, et cetera. And so um, that, to me, it will not be surprising. I mean, we, we've all seen the video of Ali Alexander of Stop the Steal running his mouth about having planned uh, January 6th with Congressman Mo Brooks and Congressman Paul Gosar and Congressman Andy Biggs. Uh, the FBI contacted my boyfriend yesterday, and I'm thinking, wow, if they contacted him, he is on Senate chambers, so that wasn't particularly surprising. But uh, still, I would imagine they would be contacting these members of Congress. And uh, frankly, uh, you know, when President Biden, uh, you know, takes power at noon on the 20th, if I was him, I would hire a thousand more FBI agents. Uh, because uh, we've got to get to the bottom of exactly what we're dealing with here. The fact that Don Beyer is talking openly about uh, the fears that he has to M MSNBC uh, this morning, reporting that you know some of these members have a real fear that their colleagues are dangerous. And I think that fear is well represented. There was a story yesterday that uh, one of these people who had Molotov cocktails and other weapons had the phone number of Ted Cruz's staffers uh, somewhere in their belongings. I mean, so... Uh, we got to get serious. I hope that we, that the Democratic Party doesn't do what it did when Obama came in and say, let's forgive and forget. Uh, this is a serious thing that we have to confront, and we have to confront it sooner rather than later. Or we're going to be dealing with it again. Okay. Now, uh, coming up next week, we've got, it looks like, a Senate trial and, of course, the inauguration uh, and a new agenda for a new president. Lots more to talk about here. Let's take a quick break break before we turn the corner to next week here on the Bill Press Pod. And then we'll be back with our panelists today on the roundtable, Sadiq Reddy, Jason Dick, and Lauren Burke. And today's roundtable brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, under the leadership of Terry O'Sullivan, President Terry O'Sullivan. 
the laborers' union over uh, half a million strong, uh, active in the energy field, building everything from solar panels to pipelines in the construction field, of course, building new schools, new office buildings and infrastructure. And boy, they're going to be building a lot more infrastructure, you can bet under the Biden administration. Uh, we salute the members of the Labor's Union, thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pot, and direct you to their website at layuna.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. And we're back. Today's roundtable, looking at events in the Capitol this week and next week with uh, Sudeep Reddy from Politico. Lauren Burke, host of the Burke File podcast, and Jason Dick, deputy editor of CQ Roll Call. So uh, how soon are we going to see a Senate trial, Jason? Uh, and how long is it going to take? And are they going to get anything else done until that's over? Uh, all very good questions, which I wish I knew the answers to. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the one of the issues that we've got here is that uh, as soon as Nancy Pelosi uh, and, and the House sends over, transfers the article of impeachment to the Senate, that sets in motion, um, you know, the, the Senate's actual rules for impeachment trials, which state that as soon as they, they get the, the article, then the the House managers, whom all have been appointed, they will present you know the the article, and then the the um, the Senate will inform the Chief Justice of the United States that a trial you know of, of the president is to get underway and that he is needed to preside, and then they adjourn for that that would adjourn until the next day, and then the trial would start. Mm -hmm. So. Some of the problems here <laughs> uh, it, it is, you know, I mean, we 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 just haven't been in this kind of situation before. Uh, we have impeached uh, and convicted people who have resigned before, but never a president. 
And so we don't know when uh, Pelosi is going to send over the article of impeachment. The Senate will not meet until uh, Tuesday at, at a minimum. Uh, the, there, there is a law that would have allowed them to uh, uh, convene in a time of emergency as long as the majority and the minority leaders agreed. Chuck Schumer said earlier this week that he wanted to do that. Mitch McConnell said he was not interested in doing that. Um, so even though Mitch McConnell, there are reports that he's uh, delighted at this, uh, he, he's not going to make things easier for anybody mm-hmm. unless he gets something out of it himself. And so the, so what we're looking at is that the earliest the Senate will convene is a Tuesday, the day before the inauguration. If Pelosi has sent over the articles, then they will go through that. They will inform, you know, the the chief justice that a, a trial is going to start. They'll um, they'll present the article, and then the next day they wouldn't meet until after Donald Trump is not president anymore, which mm-hmm. brings in an, another like set of like strange circumstances, such as uh, who would preside because the Constitution says the chief justice presides over the trial of the president, but. Donald Trump won't be president anymore. So we we quite literally, we asked uh, our own Todd Ruger at Roll Call, he asked a bunch of constitutional scholars, what does this mean? And they all said, we don't know. You know, the, and these are like, the, these are people that, that's all they do is study the Constitution, right? Like Stephen Vladek, right. University of Texas, and so forth. So in other impeachment trials for judges and, and cabinet officials, it's usually just the presiding officer who, who, res- mm-hmm. who presides over the trial. So we don't know even who would be the presiding officer. Uh, they have to get some kind of agreement uh, to if, if they want to do a dual track, like Biden has talked about, where they spend half the day in the trial and half the day, uh, you know, basically confirming his nominees uh, and and uh, getting to start on considering like a coronavirus package, a relief package. So uh, because nothing happens easily in the Senate, I think that is factoring into the the considerations here. Uh, and so Pelosi may be conferring with the Biden people and with Chuck Schumer, who will become the majority leader as soon as John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are sworn in uh, and, and they convene and Kamala Harris is sworn in that, OK, maybe we wait uh, until we get a secretary of defense and Homeland Security uh, secretary confirmed uh, in order to uh, give Biden a little time. So we just don't know. I wish I did. But it, it, we're just in this. Str- I mean, it's weird to say it keeps saying unprecedented, but it is. Uh, a lot of factors there. But, Sudeep, uh, this shouldn't take that long, should it? I mean, um, it's one article of impeachment. Uh, they've got a lot of video. Uh, they were all there. <laughs> they were all in lockdown. Um, I don't know. It seems to be they ought to be able to knock it off in two hours. They could if that's uh, if that's what they want to do. There will obviously be some uh, some soapbox uh, speechifying going on. But the 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 larger question of what goes into a trial uh, is: Do they have witnesses? How do they bring in the witness? Obviously, there are a hundred witnesses sitting right there, right. Uh, given the, the location of the event. But there there are not, so many disturbing things as we've discussed earlier about coordination. Right. Like, what was the coordination? Was was Trump or people around him were they involved? Uh, in in uh, in the coordination of people who are actually storming the Capitol beyond what we saw uh, quite visibly in his uh, in his uh, speech urging people to to march on the Capitol, um, all, all of that raises a lot of other questions about about sedition and conspiracy that that I think are relevant uh, for at least the, the chunk of of Senate Republicans who could be on the fence here, and there are there are enough uh, if if this is even worse than we know now, which it, it very well could be, then there, there might be 17 uh, 
Senate Republicans who are willing to convict on that. Yeah, uh, sticking with you there for a second, Sudeep. And uh, all of this does factor too. I mean, Jason indicated once um, Pastor Warnock and John Ossoff are sworn in, you know, then Chuck Schumer is in charge, right? So that changes everything. Well, that, that's right. There, there's going to be a, a a different a different order of of how things move along in the Senate, and that could make uh, a, a significant difference in how quickly they want to move it, or how much they want to linger and actually talk about the the specifics uh, of this, and and that is a huge difference from the last impeachment trial. Uh, Lauren, we don't know this, uh, but final question on the Senate trial, but I keep wondering, so who's going to, well, let me back up. It seemed to me that the Trump people didn't really put up a, a big fight in the House to block this impeachment. Trump never said anything about it the whole time it was taking place. Neither did Rudy Giuliani or any of those other um, Trump's legal team. Uh, and makes raises a question, who's going to what, how big of a fight are they going to put up in the Senate? What kind of a defense in the Senate? Pat, um, Jay Sekulow, who represented him for the last impeachment trial, has already said he doesn't want any part of it. Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel who also uh, defended the president on the last time around, said he doesn't want any part of it. So are they going to put up a fight and who's going to lead it? Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> Probably not. Well, obviously, he uh, can't, suddenly has Who's become left? part of the crowd that can't get paid by Donald Trump. <laughs> well, at some point, uh, I mean, Donald Trump has been telling us uh, who he is now for the last four or five years, really the last 25 years. I grew up in New York, so really for me, it's the last 25 years. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it's pretty obvious that incitement of insurrection can be proven and verified. When you have a rally the morning of that insurrection and of that violence, talking openly about how you think an election has been stolen from you, which he'd been talking about, of course, since election day, and really before that. I mean, we knew what he was gonna say before that, if he was gonna lose. And then, of course, he bullied the officials in Georgia, and that's all on tape. There's not a whole lot to talk about. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that Lindsey Graham will get up and do his particular, you know, his Lindsey Graham performance, but there's not a whole lot to talk about here. I mean, I, I, you know, you know that obviously uh, Murkowski and, and Romney and Ben Sass, these people are going to vote for impeachment. I mean, they're going to vote for conviction. So it, it, I don't think they'll put up much of a fight. The only question is who will be intimidated by the threat of violence? You have to remember, of course, and mm -hmm. somebody earlier mentioned Gabby Giffords uh, appropriately. That had a buildup. That had that Sarah Palin target thing build up. And then, you know, with this, we had people going over to Pelosi's uh, personal residence in California and people going over to Mitch McConnell's house in Kentucky. It has a buildup. And I think if these members of the Senate are smart, they will move affirmatively to to convict. Right. Uh, OK, now uh, next week, as of Wednesday, there'll be a new president of the United States. We saw Joe Biden step up to the plate actually last night. Uh, starting to put parts of his agenda uh, in place. And this was a pretty bold one, a two, okay, $1.9 trillion uh, program uh, to deal with COVID and the economic collapse resulting from it. Here's the president-elect. 
During this pandemic, millions of Americans are facing eviction, waiting for hours in their cars to feed their families. There is real pain overwhelming the real economy. You won't see this pain if your scorecard is how things are going on Wall Street, but you will see it very clearly if you examine what the twin crises of a pandemic and this sinking economy have laid bare. Uh so, Jason, first to address the obvious, this is a clear contrast to the kind of presidency under Biden uh, that we're going to see compared to the kind of presidency uh, we saw under Donald Trump. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the I mean, it also shows the significance of of the Senate going uh, to the Democrats with the, the Ossoff and, and Warnock victories, because if 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 Mitch McConnell was going to be in charge of the Senate when Joe Biden uh, was sworn in, like Biden would have to calculate, okay, do I have to, you know, give him these liability protections for businesses yeah. that he's been talking about? This is a go go big, go deep, you know, kind of thing because he can. I mean, even even though they're very slim majorities, he, you know, they control the agenda, and so. Um, they they can put the screws to Republicans in a way that Mitch McConnell wasn't willing to because Mitch McConnell won't you know he wasn't going to put uh, something on the floor that he he thought would be you know just what uh, you know the Democrats wanted of course uh, and also didn't have his priorities like this liability stuff that they're just so obsessed with so this has you know like four hundred billion dollars or whatever for state and local aid this this has you know a, you know parts of targeted to towards getting the vaccine uh you know out in you know like hard to reach places i mean it, this is a democratic priority bill it's already come under some uh fire from republicans but guess what they're going to have to vote on it <laughs> uh in, in a yeah. in, and that's mm -hmm. something that they didn't have to face with mcconnell as as leader so this this shows that you know they they went they're starting high, and even if they have to pare it down eventually and get to a compromise or use the the budget reconciliation process, you know, to 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 you know fit it in without having all the procedural roadblocks, they're going to basically they're calling the the you know this is their home turf, uh, and they're mm -hmm. able to um, get it going the way that they want to. Yeah, so deep. This is as Jason says, go big, go deep uh, on the economic front and the COVID front. Uh, on the COVID front, also, the, the president-elect has said um, his goal, 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days of the administration. I mean, that's, that's going to be hard to deliver, but pretty bold. It is uh, it is hard to deliver seeing all the distribution uh, challenges so far that, that uh, we've got, but it is ramping up. And with proper attention, we could actually get through this. The, 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 the fact that we're months away from from seeing huge chunks of the population, the general population vaccinated is, is something that I don't think any of us could have really uh, had confidence in six months ago. And, and the fact that there, there will be enough money to hold, uh, hold the, the worst off uh, over for a little bit longer is also huge. And so um, while there will be a, a, a bit of a fight over some elements of this package, it actually means that 2021 uh, could be a, a, a pretty uh, like a good year uh, for the economy if we're able to get out of the, the virus and, uh, and and get get back to normal um, with that bridge uh, that's needed for so many people who are who are struggling right now. 
And finally, Lauren, the, la the other item on the uh, president-elect's agenda, of course, top item is confirmation of his cabinet members and top uh, White House, of, uh, of, not the White House staffers, but top people in the administration, uh, having already uh, appointed the most diverse ca uh, cabinet in history. Um, do you think Biden's going to be do okay on that front in terms of getting his uh, top people confirmed? Yeah, I think everybody will get confirmed. Obviously, the victories of uh, Warnock and Ossoff kind of decided that. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, when that happened, I think it'll happen quickly. You can see that the Biden people and uh, Joe Biden wants to define who he is as a president in that first 100 days. I think that is going to be difficult given what we're going through right now. But he's going to go for it and uh, try to turn the page, I think, from what we just saw on January 6th. Uh, Given the fact that the social media companies have taken the uh, bullhorn out of the hands of Donald Trump, that'll be made easier by that. But still, you do have the you do have the right wing ecosystem, right wing media eco ecosystem sort of assisting Donald Trump. So we'll see how far he can get with his nominees and with that process. I think he'll, he'll get further than we thought before Georgia was decided. All right. Well, we covered a lot of territory there. Thank you, Sadiq and Jason and Lauren. But <laughs> before we let you go. With all of that going on, was there anything else that caught your attention this week that uh, we always put under the category of a favorite story of the week? Uh, how about you, Sadeep? You know, there were so many stories about tech companies and watching how they responded. Oh, Obviously, boy. hundreds of companies responded uh, to, to what happened, but the, the way the tech companies shut down uh, uh, Parler and how they kicked Trump off of of Twitter and Facebook and all the others. Uh, I, I was watching them one by one and I'm like, really Pinterest is stepping in here. Um, and and there, there, there are some that, that you're just, everybody wanted to, to somehow take responsibility for it. But then when I saw Airbnb, I thought of, Oh, this is it. This is interesting because there were clearly people who were attending uh, the riots, uh, participating in the right. riots, at stayed in Airbnbs. But my, my, uh, the, the thing where I really chuckled was where, uh, there was a story in, in, uh, uh, about the uh, about somebody who actually hosted uh, a, a rioter and caught that person on his ring doorbell uh, on camera talking about how how they went into the Capitol. So first of all, you actually have uh, through <laughs> that through that uh, that moment right there evidence of somebody admitting to a crime. Uh, but also, it's led to a war of reviews uh, of this uh, of this person um, telling people not to rent their homes. Uh, to to this woman because she is a is an insurrectionist. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to have to stay in New Jersey, right? I suppose. Yes. I, I don't know. Uh, how about you, Jason? What caught your attention? Um, I've been thinking a lot about memory and how, like, how we're going to remember this, like from oh. fir first person accounts and from images and from just like bearing witness to not just the the broader trends about political violence and the president and and uh, but 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 also these these moments like that individuals experienced and I you know I I'd been thinking about that since January six and then uh, you know when I. <laughs> I uh, got the, uh, the the latest New Yorker. There's this uh, novelist, this woman named Rachel Kushner, uh, who I'm kind of, I think she's just a really, you know, great writer. And she wrote this story about San Francisco where she'd uh, grown up uh, starting at age 10. And how like one thing that had triggered all these memories for her about her growing up as a young woman there uh, was a YouTube video uh, of, of somebody who had like, 
filmed uh, driving down Market Street, uh, like the full length of it. And and she went like point by point uh, through Market Street, through her Market Street memories, though, even though this was shot in the 60s and she wasn't born until 1969. And, it w- and, I th- and I thought about that and how, how well she does that and how well she cr- creates the San Francisco that doesn't exist anymore from the vision of a San Francisco that also doesn't exist anymore. And, and I just thought, and I contrast that with my own memories of, of San Francisco, which I spent a lot of time in when I was in my twenties. And I just thought like, that is, um, that's the way that we're going to make sense of all this. And so it just really was a great, you know, piece, um, by, by her. Uh, and, and I highly encourage it because it just, it made, it made me think just, you know, like what we saw, what I saw, um, what we went through and how important that is to, to make sure that we, um, that we keep those memories in us. Uh, yes. And we will, we'll remember a lot of what we've seen over the last seven days here in the nation's capital. Uh, Lauren, uh, what caught your attention this week? Um, you know, so much to choose from, but I'll, I'll go with something easy, which is just James Langford apologizing for being a part of the group that wanted to vote against the certification of Biden's election and apparently not realizing that the true backstory of all of that is the nullification of black votes in Atlanta and Philadelphia and mm. Detroit. And I was really interested in the fact that he didn't realize that. Langford is typically not involved in racial tomfoolery, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so but it was more interesting just to see the sort of disconnect there that he did not see that, uh, you know, obviously the president was uh, attorneys lost 68 cases in court trying to nullify the election uh, and really trying to argue that somehow there was something fraudulent about an election that black voters uh, assisted uh, more than assisted, really put Biden over the top in winning, particularly in, in Georgia. Uh, so I'll go with that. I'll go with James Langford. I thought that was an interesting turn. And um, you would hope that other Republicans might look at that as a pathway to another more different Republican Party. But time will tell. Uh, and my favorite story I will share with you has to do with a very pressing priority uh, that all of us can, I think, identify with. Uh, and that is, um, where do you go when you have to take a pee? Well, uh, if you are a Secret Service agent on duty outside of uh, Jared uh, Kushner and Ivanka Trump's house in Calorama, their mansion in Calorama, which, by the way, has six bedrooms and six and a half bathrooms, you would think over the last four years you could just go in their house somewhere, maybe in the basement or in one of those six and a half bathrooms and uh, take care of your needs. But no, 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 the Washington Post reports that Jared and Ivanka prohibited the Secret Service agents from using any of their bathrooms, forcing them uh, to, uh, at one time, uh, put up a porta potty in front of the house. uh, And then the neighbors objected to that, so they had to move that. Uh, So then they would go to the nearby house of uh, former President Obama (laughs) into his garage, where there happened to be a bathroom, uh, or they would drive a mile away to the vice president's house to pee. Um, they ended up, what they're now doing and have been doing for the last year, is renting a basement studio across in a house across the street from one of their neighbors, paying $3,000 a month so these Secret Service agents have a place to go to the bathroom and don't have to enter Jared or Ivanka's house. 
how disgusting it seems to me, <laughs> showing uh, no respect or no concern at all for the people who are protecting their lives and their family. Uh, again, I think it's just a case of the Trump family uh, thinking that they are royalty when, if I may, they're nothing but white trash. Uh, so that's my favorite story of the week, disgusting as it is. Uh, what a great panel. Sadiq Reddy, uh, Jason Dick, Lauren Burke, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and thank you all for listening. It is the Bill Press Pod. We hope you've subscribed already. If you haven't, please do so today. Subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. And most importantly, as we go into the next week, stay safe. Listen, it's not over yet. Hardly. It's even worse than ever. The coronavirus rampaging across the country. So wear your mask. Practice your social distancing. Stay safe until we see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. 